Well, good morning. Glad to be with you guys this morning. This morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. And what we are going to be talking about this morning is the reality, the truth that we need each other. We really do. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we're going to read that together. Uh, Let me read that for us. We're going to see this really come forth through this passage this morning. It says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In 2004, a couple of men, business partners, were on a safari in South Africa. Their names were Jason Schlossberg and David Buzz Budzinski. Uh, They were on the last day of their safari in Kruger National Park in South Africa, and they were able to capture on video one of the most astounding encounters, wildlife encounters, I've ever seen on amateur video footage. In fact, David Budzinski was filming with his little mini DV camcorder as a a herd of buffaloes came across this ridge on the other side of a a pond or a small lake from their safari vehicle. And the next eight minutes that was captured on video went viral in 2006 and 2007. And many of you probably have seen what I'm referring to as the Battle of Kruger on, on YouTube or on Vimeo. If you have not seen it, let me give you a quick recap of what took place in those fascinating eight minutes. This herd of buffalo were coming across this ridge, and to the viewer's right, to the cameraman's right, he let us in on the fact that there was a pride of lions, five lions to be exact, off to the, to the cameraman's right. And we see this herd of buffalo coming around the corner of this little pond, little lake, and they're coming across this ridge, and you see them coming into what you know is imminent danger as these lions are crouching in the dirt and in the, uh, the weeds of that uh, safari. So anyways, as they come around the corner, they, I think they may have smelled them first, but then they see the lions and they begin to retreat, but it was too late. The lions were in full spring as they were coming with a full head of steam at the herd of buffaloes. The lions then isolated one of the younger calves and took its legs out from under it. It toppled into the shallow waters and four or five lions just immediately surround it with their mouths around the, the calf and they begin to try to drag it up out of the water up onto the dry ground. Well, just at that time, this humongous crocodile came up out of the water, snapping at the lions and then grabbing its own you know, ferocious teeth around the hindquarters of this baby calf. It begins this African safari-style tug-of-war where the poor calf is not just the rope in this crazy game of tug-of-war, but he's actually going to be lunch for whoever becomes victorious. And they start to pull and tug on this thing, and fortunately, I guess, for the calf, the lions win out, and they were able to drag it up onto the dry ground, and they start to circle around, and they begin to prepare to devour their feast. Well, just about that time, craziest thing in the world that I've ever seen, the herd of buffalo return. They come back 
And this time they're on the offensive and they're going to take back what is theirs. They're going to take back their little, uh, little calf, little buffalo calf. And they formed this united front. It was amazing to see it. You got to go home and watch this video if you haven't seen it. Uh, search for Battle at Kruger on YouTube. You will find it. It'll come up. And, and you'll see that this herd of buffalo makes this united stand against five lions. King of the jungle. And these buffalo, one by one, they pick off these lions and they push them off of their calf, rescuing the calf. The calf then gets up and returns to the herd. I'm sure he was sore. I'm sure he was exhausted and he probably was a little cut up, but the guy was alive. A couple of really interesting observations that come to mind as I see that video. One thing is, is that that anytime you watch that video or really almost any video of wildlife interactions where there's predator and prey, you will oftentimes see, most, most of the time, you will see the way that the predator goes into a group and they, what they will do is they will isolate one individual and they will single them out from the rest of the group and they will then take them out because they are weak and vulnerable in their isolation. It is no surprise that Peter likens Satan to a lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter chapter 5. Because so oftentimes we see that very same principle in the way that he operates with us in our lives. Oftentimes what he will do is he will seek to deceive us or to distract us or somehow peel us away from the group, from the congregation, from the community, in order that he might isolate us. And in our being separated, in our loneliness, in our isolation, we are vulnerable to his schemes, to his attacks, and even to being devoured by him. You see, Satan knows that we need each other. But what else I see, there's a second observation that I see in that video, and that is there is power in the group. As the group comes back, the herd comes back to get their little baby calf back from the clutches of the lion, there was power in their united stance against those lions. You see, we need each other. And I would... I would say that the Lord made us and designed us in that way. If you think about the creation account, that God made all that there is, and each individual aspect of creation, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, until one thing. There was one exception. What was it? God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he remedied, remedied that by creating Eve, of course, he created a companion for man, but not just a companion, but one in which they could carry out God's command to populate the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. And in doing so, what we now have and what we are able to enjoy is this experience of community. We need each other. But I would even say and add one step further. It's not just nice. It's not just that we were created for this, and it's a blessing, and it's a luxury. But I would say that we need each other because it is actually a matter of survival. We need each other. The author of Hebrews recognized that as well, and he goes on to 
tell us in verse 24 how to interact with one another, how to respond to and love each other well in this community of faith. He says this, let us consider how we may stir or how to stir up one another to love and good works. You see, that word to stir, actually, if you look at it from several different translations, it, it, if you start to see this theme emerge, it has a bit of an aggressive tone to it. To stir, to spur, actually like a horse. Would, you would spur a horse to move it forward, to get it to, to move, to go forward. To stimulate is another translation. To, to provoke, even. So it has a bit of a, a, an aggressive tone, but maybe we could look at it and think of it's really just a proactiveness that we need to take with one another. Now, recognize this, that here's the end game. We're, the end goal is that we want to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not to provoke each other to, to anger. So we've got to be careful and we've got to do what the author's saying. He's saying, he's saying, let us consider how. How will we approach one another? How can we best stir one another to love and good deeds? How is it that we can help each other along in this faith journey? How is it that we can move one another? I love the church. I love the fact that we as a community of believers can come together in this place. But really, really, if you think about it as the church universal, we have this universal connection under Jesus Christ. We, wherever we go in the world and we, we go to a church family, we can go and we can be embraced. We can be warmly welcomed in. No matter where we've been, no matter what our social status is, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what, we can come in and we can enjoy fellowship with one another. Because the truth is, is you want to go where everybody knows your name. Everybody, you want to, you, and you're always glad they came. You want to go... You want to be where you can see that our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. I got some laughs on that, and even though I stumbled through that, uh, that lyric, you guys all recognize that that was from the, uh, the lyrics of the TV show Cheers that was a hit back in the 80s and early 90s. In fact, this, this TV show, if you haven't seen it before, if you're not even familiar with it, it was actually, some would say it's in the top 20 TV shows of all time. Why would that be? Well, part of it, I think, is because it's just so endearing. It, just like the lyrics of that theme song, that it's a place where you kind of just want to hang out. You want to be with those people, those characters. They're so eclectic. They're coming from all different types of walks of life. Uh, you've got, you know, Professor Crane, and you've got Mailman Cliff, and you've got, you know, all these different People, uh, as eclectic as they are, they all come together and they enjoy this sense of community and camaraderie together. It's almost like family. And if you think about it, uh, too, much like the church, we can experience that sense of community, that sense of family. But And like Cheers, you know, they've got their baggage. They've got their stuff. Norm was uh, in a terrible marriage. He's always, you know saying horrible jokes about his wife. Cliff was a know-it-all. Uh, Shelley Long's character, Diane, was pretentious. I mean, they all got their stuff. 
just like us in the church. We've all got our, our baggage, our hang-ups, our hurts, our habits, and all these kinds of things that, you know, that tend to weigh us down. We're an eclectic group as well. We come from all walks of life, all, all across the spectrum, but yet we can find a sense of community and family even in the church. But I would have to say that one thing that's distinct, the, the big distinction between Cheers and the church is the fact that in Cheers, there's no power for transformation. You see, Norm stayed in this miserable marriage. Nobody ever challenged him. Nobody ever exhorted him to grow and to move forward. And certainly no one ever challenged anyone sitting around that Boston bar to think of eternal matters. Think of things of significance in their lives that were going to push them towards faith in Christ or something of, of, of ultimate value. That's the church, though. That's where we are in the church and that we can experience the power of transformation. We can experience the power of Christ working through us to move us, to push us forward, to stir each other up to love and good works. I have to confess, though, that when we think about moving each other forward, when we think about stirring one another up, there's been many times in my life, many times even in my ministry as a pastor, that I've been timid. I've been fearful of, well, what is this person going to think? How might this person respond? Or I just, I'm nervous about saying anything. I want to encourage us with this because I have to encourage myself in the same regard. Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, We do not have a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. You see, the thing that we need to grasp is that when we speak into each other's lives, we are able to speak into each other's lives because we rest on this stool, this, like, this three-legged stool, considering that we speak with love, but we also speak with power and self-control. So whenever we talk about consider how we might stir one another up to love and good works, we're considering <clears throat> that how might we best be able to speak into this person's life, sharing truth, yes, but doing it in a way that's loving and doing it in a way that we think through our words well so as to use wisdom and to use understanding and self-control as we deliver the truth to one another. You see, Satan would love for all of us to remain mute. He would love for all of us to stay silent when it comes to being able to speak truth into one another's lives. He doesn't want us to do that because why? Because that actually might cause change. That actually might cause transformation. It might actually push us towards Christ. So he, he causes us to be muted with this blanket of fear, of timidity. But I want to encourage us that we can speak into each other's lives. How, though, can we get this kind of boldness to speak into each other's life? It actually, the answer comes through the author of Hebrews, just a few verses previous in chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. He says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You see, it is because of what Christ has done for us, taking on 
the just penalty for our sins. He died in our place. And just as his body was torn, so was the veil, the curtain. And let me explain that for just a second. The veil and the curtain that, what, that we're describing here is what separated the inner court from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where God's presence was in which the high priest, only one person, could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year on Yom Kippur in order that he might make atonement for our sins. That veil that separated was is said to, by some scholars to have been potentially four inches thick and six, as much as 60 feet high. I look at these curtains around the room here, and they're pretty thick, and I can't even imagine four inches thick. But then it describes the fact that as Jesus died on that cross, as his body was torn, that veil, that curtain that represented our separation from God because of our sins was torn in half from top to bottom, signifying that we now in this new and living way, have access to God. And if we look at that word that it says, since we have confidence, that word confidence in the Greek is parousia. That is a Greek word from Greek literature that has this implication of a citizen's privilege of being able to have freedom of speech, the ability to speak freely, to speak your mind, to speak with frankness, to speak boldly. So that being said, we now have access to God. We have access to God to be able to come into his presence, to be able to speak our minds, to be able to speak boldly before him in this new and living way because of what Christ has done. So if we then, because of what Christ has done for us, have the ability to come before God with confidence and speak our minds, to be able to speak with confidence, with boldness, before the living God, the creator of the universe, how much more so can we then have confidence to speak to one another, to be able to speak into each other's lives? You see, Satan wants us to remain mute. He wants us to have this uh, struggle that oftentimes I have felt in that I think to myself, you think, I think, man, I'm not sure that I want to say anything simply because um, I've struggled maybe with that same thing. And I don't want to look like a hypocrite saying something to them, knowing that, man, I've, I'm in the same boat. So I just feel awkward about saying something. Or maybe I just, repre- I just, I just recognize the fact that I, I'm a fellow struggler. I'm a, a fellow sinner. And I don't, I'm not struggling with the same thing, but I struggle with sin or struggle with stuff as well. And so Again, Satan snags me in this and prevents me from saying anything. But I want to encourage myself as much as I'm encouraging all of us that that is the gospel. That's the point of what Jesus did for us. He is, he is exhorting us, you can speak into each other's lives, even though you struggle and maybe even you struggle with the very same thing. We can speak into each other's lives because that is what grace is all about. We have been saved by grace. It's, it's the power of the gospel transforming. We're, we're not there yet. He is, God is working on us. He is transforming us. He's in the process. Yet we need to have the 
the boldness, the encouragement to be able to speak into each other's lives, to be able to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The passage goes on in verse 25. It says this. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You see, the author of Hebrews is exhorting his audience. He's, in, in, throughout the whole of the book, he's saying it is so easy to drift. It is so easy to find yourself separated and isolated from Christ, Christ who is supreme, separated and isolated even from the, the body of Christ, the congregation, that we have to pay close attention we have, to be, we have to be very intentional. We don't want to find ourselves neglecting the body, neglecting the community and the fellowship of one another because this is where transformation happens. You see, our, our meeting together here is nothing sacred in, in, in this place specifically, this physical place. We're in a elementary cafeteria, for goodness sakes. We, there's nothing magical or mystical about this particular room. What is powerful about this gathering is that it's the body of Christ. The Spirit of the living God is within us as believers, and He is moving within our collective presence to move us, to transform us. And so that is the power of our being together he wants us to fellowship, to rub off on one another, to, to spur each other on. This word, this gathering together, to meet together, is episunigoge, which is used twice in the New Testament. Once here in Hebrews chapter 10, but also in, Thess- in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it has to do with the gathering of the saints unto Christ in the day of the Lord. So there's a golden thread between these two uses of that word, the only two times in the New Testament. One of those is that it has to do with this Christ-centered gathering together. You see, one is in the eschaton. One is in the end days, when the, you know, in the day of the Lord, and he will gather us up. But then this one is in today's day, where we are gathered together under the umbrella of Christ. But both of them, look, it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See the day drawing near. You see, both of those have reference to this view towards the day. View towards the day of the Lord where we'll be gathered together. So it's this Christ-centered, Christ-orchestrated gathering together with a view towards our day, someday, eventually, when we will be with Christ. So we're encouraging one another towards that end. We're, we're looking forward to that day where we will all be ultimately gathered together with Christ physically. It's powerful. Satan would like for all of us to, uh, to be tempted to drift, to be tempted to be finding ourselves isolated from the group, isolated from the community, isolated from the saints. Starbucks has become an American icon, right? It's, uh, it's been renowned in its several decades of existence, and it's worldwide. 
1997, Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, wrote uh, in his book, Pour Your Heart Into It, about how he desired in, its, in his initial vision for Starbucks for it to be a place of community. To really, he called it the third place, that place between home and work or work and home, where you could gather together with friends, you could see people that you knew and you loved, and you just wanted to hang out there. You would know your barista, and your barista would know you. It was just this, this sense of family, this sense of community, much like that, that bar in Boston that we know so well. Well, interestingly enough, in 1994, Starbucks opened their first store with a drive through and then just a few years ago, I, I want to say it may have been six, maybe eight years ago, I saw something very interesting, especially after having read Schultz's book. Just down the street from our house in Dallas, there was a Starbucks that opened up that was a freestanding building that was drive-through only. There was no opportunity to actually walk in any doors. There was no lobby. There was no place, not even a table to sit down and mingle with your friends. It was simply a drive through And then uh, in 2013, Starbucks came out with a press release that they uh, said in the next five years, we're going to open up 1,500 stores worldwide. I'm sorry, I think it was actually just nationwide. And 60% of those would have drive throughs Interesting that Starbucks had quite a shift from this initial vision of of providing the customer with this experience to now we're just going to sell you a product. We're just going to get you something to go. And, and it could be tempting for us to view the church in much the same way we view our drive through coffee experience. That we might start to be tempted to just think of it in this efficiency mindset, in this American individualized culture that we live in, we might see that church is really just a product or really just a, another thing to just get done in my lineup for the week. And I'm really busy this morning, so I'm just going to come in, sit down, sing a few songs, get some teaching, and then get on to the next thing. And we don't see it as an opportunity to be together, to rub off on each other, to, to, to mingle and to connect deeply with one another. I want to encourage us to do that. I want to encourage us to see the the power of the corporate body being together, the, the community of the saints, connecting with one another, connecting deeply with one another. And it doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. I hope that you guys are meeting together in your homes, in home groups, in, in, you know, in whatever, whatever other ways that you can find a chance to com- commune with each other, to break bread, to fellowship with each other, to spur one another on, to encourage each other. This morning, I wanted to provide for us just a few extra minutes. Uh, uh, we're going to try to end just a few extra minutes early, just simply to give you guys the opportunity to spend a few minutes grabbing some coffee. We set up a couple bistro tables back here. We've got uh, some coffee. We've got uh, a table with note cards and pens. I want to give you the platform. I want to give you the permission to mingle with each other, to spend a few minutes. We're going to do a closing song and then linger 
I'd love for you guys, if you wanted to take advantage of some of those note cards, even to grab somebody's information. This week is spring break, and maybe you're not going out of town. Maybe you have the opportunity to, to connect with somebody, connect with, over coffee or, or have them over for dinner, or maybe go out to eat together even today as you go out for lunch. I would love for us to be mindful of how we can connect with one another because truly we need each other. We need each other to spur one another on, to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this opportunity to be together this morning. It is a privilege. It is a blessing. And I do recognize it. It is essential to our faith. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blessing that it is. And thank you for the, uh, the way that you have created us to need one another. We pray, Lord, that we would be stirred. We would be encouraged. We would, we would spend time with one another and, and, uh, and use this time for the building up of our faith, for the building up of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.